I have always loved this passage of scripture. It's long, but it's so rich in the stuff that makes us human. The ups and downs and twists and turns of life, the experiences of waiting and longing and hoping, being surprised by joy. There is so much richness and depth that I scarcely know where to begin, especially as I end my ministry here at St. James tonight with a full heart and a tremendous amount of gratitude. I do want to spend some time here on the scene in which we find ourselves in Luke's gospel at the temple in Jerusalem, there to follow the dictates of the law. These are words that are synonymous in my mind with tradition, but here they lead to vision, prophecy, and revelation of the new. In the gospel of Luke, it seems all roads lead to the temple. It's where the action in Luke's gospel begins and ends. It's the cornerstone of Jesus's life. After his presentation, we can read about how the temple is where Jesus's frantic parents found their missing boy, teaching to the elders. The temple is where Jesus would begin his ministry on earth, reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. In scripture, we learn that the temple is where God's glory dwells. When King Solomon first consecrates the temple, the priests cannot even enter it because it is so full of the glory of the Lord. The intensity of God's presence in the temple there is so strong that people can barely breathe. Their faces shine. They are overcome by the force and power of God's glory and radiance. And I think by grounding his gospel in the temple, by showing how Jesus's life revolves around it, Luke wants us to see how Jesus prepares for his earthly ministry by spending time in his father's house. Jesus's life flows from God's glory and through him divine light is suffused across the world. Where Jesus is, their glory is also. Just as Luke's whole gospel begins and ends with the temple, this morning's story begins and ends with the law. Mary and Joseph go to the temple to fulfill the law and depart once they have done everything it requires. Devotion to God's commandments is what brings them there. And what do Mary and Joseph bring to the glory of God? An offering for their firstborn son, and even more specifically, a poor person's offering. Luke is quoting the 12th chapter of Leviticus that says, if the mother cannot afford a lamb, she may bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It's always seemed significant to me that these laws about offerings have options. They have a sliding scale. God's demands are not meant to break us, but they are meant to shape us. This is a chance, I think, for all of us to remember that all we can bring is what we have and who we are. That who we are as we are is enough. Enough for God's love and enough for God's purposes. Now, because the temple is a place of God's glory, because it's the place where we can and should bring ourselves as we are, it's a place where people like Simeon and Anna can be at home. 
Simeon is not only elderly, but so full of longing, of deep and almost overwhelming desire. You get the sense that the temple might be one of the only places he can bear to be as he waits for the fulfillment of God's promise. And Anna, Anna has been a widow almost her whole life. Widows at that time lived with extreme financial precarity. Would she be homeless if it were not for her welcome in the temple? We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that her response to her life, a life that did not go the way it was supposed to go, is to remain hopeful and remain faithful to God. Both Simeon and Anna are gifted with an incredible kind of vision. They can see what will be in the midst of what is. They can see what will be in the midst of what is. Their trust in God has made them sure that their heartaches, their needs, the present disorder and chaos of their world is not all they can hope for. It's almost akin to a kind of discernment that in the arrival of this seemingly ordinary baby and his parents, both Simeon and Anna can see the arrival of God himself. They can see what will be in the midst of what still is. We need that sight and that vision, and I believe that the way we get to it is through praise. Because Simeon and Anna, they perceive that God has answered their prayers. This is the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. They are beholding God's salvation that will be offered freely to all. Simeon and Anna see all that and rejoice in it as though it has already come to pass. To both Simeon and Anna, all the material circumstances of their lives will remain the same. But by Jesus' birth, the very fact of his incarnation, God's promises to them have been fulfilled. I'm not saying that praising God will make us all as wise as biblical prophets though I wish it would. But I do think praise unlocks something in us. It shifts our focus and it helps us let go, let go of what narrows our vision, what distracts us, the weeds that grow up and choke our faith. Praising God sets us free to share in the liberating and joyful love of God and our salvation in Jesus Christ. To see what will be in the midst of what still is and rejoice in it as though it has already come to pass, to cultivate that sight and faith, to cultivate that life of praise, that is the challenge I face as I say goodbye to you all and embark on an exciting and challenging new chapter. And it's the challenge facing the search committee and the vestry and our rector candidates. It's why we've all been praying for them through this process, that they can all see a glimpse into the gifts that God has already prepared for this place. For us to cultivate that sight and that life of selfless praise would be a spiritual gift, not just for us and our lives, but a gift to the world because that is what our faith is. It is a gift to the world. And more than that, it is a profound act of resistance 
To praise God is to see his presence already at work, even in the midst of our broken world, and to resist the presence and power of evil. To praise God gives us strength for the journey and reminds us to rejoice that God's power is known to us through vulnerability and humility. As Christians, we rejoice in that, that God's love for us is felt in pain and loss and still our joy and hope spring eternal. Praise is our sacred resistance. Simeon's song, Anna's evangelism, the hymns we sing here tonight, all of it proclaims our loyalty to a king whose rule chooses compassion and inclusion over the hatred and exclusion and cruelty of the world humanity has made. We praise God to affirm our belief that the world can change and must change. And in Jesus' resurrection, the hardest battle has already been won. Christ has defeated death. That's what brings us here tonight and gathers us around this altar, that Christ has defeated death and brought us new life. And what's left now is for us to learn, to learn to love God and love one another as much as God loves us. And I am so grateful for every single Sunday that we have spent together because we have rejoiced and praised God together as though all God's miracles have already come to pass. We need to see what will be in the midst of what still is and to never lose heart. For as the old prayer says, life is eternal and love is immortal and even death is only a horizon and a horizon is nothing save the limit of our sight. Amen.